This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. A three-month state of emergency is in effect in Turkey as the country tries to rebound from an attempted coup last weekend. The government of President Recep Erdogan now has the time and the resources to find the people responsible. In the short term, tens of thousands of soldiers, police, educators, civil servants, and many other people have been fired from their jobs on potential suspicion of complicity in this coup attempt. Turkey remains a very important piece to the global balance for Europe, for the Middle East, and as well Asia and the United States. To take a look at what happened and what might happen in the near future, we're joined on the phone by Arthur Scully, who is a senior fellow at the Fletcher School's Council on Emerging Markets Enterprises, and he's also a Wharton grad. And then also joining us is Liesl Ainati, who is soon to be a visiting assistant professor of international relations at Columbia University's Barnard College. And Liesl Hints, I apologize. I apologize. Uh, and then we will be joined in just a couple of minutes by Bulent Gultikan, who is an associate professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Arthur, Liesl, great to have you on the show. Nice to be here, Dan. Thank you. Th- Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, Arthur, what is going on right now over there in Turkey in terms of of trying to sift out who exactly was responsible for this? Well, okay, I'm actually in London, yep. so I'm getting it uh, a little bit secondhand. But um, it, it clearly is a military coup or attempted coup, um, and there were, you know, it was very poorly executed, and it got rushed, and they hadn't planned to do it when they did, but they felt they had to because. Um, the president Erdogan was going to um, basically fire a number of people in the military and elsewhere um, in the next two weeks, and so for various reasons it got pushed up so quickly that they really bungled it. Um, but I think the, the the key message here is that Erdogan is using this as an excuse to basically clean out his opposition, uh, which obviously includes the people involved in the coup. But I think it will cover a lot more than that. Liesl, what's the expectation that you that you have for how this will play out in the near term? Well, I think it you know the future looks very dim for Turkey right now. You know we've always looked to Turkey to be a you know sort of a model of of a blend of democracy and Islam in the region and a you know a good uh, economic model. But you know the way that things are going right now, Turkey has already been moving towards consolidating power in the hands of the president. Uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has been pushing for a presidential system. Um, he's been undermining the independence of the judiciary, cracking down on press freedoms, uh, civil liberties, freedom of assembly, and so forth. So, you know, I, I absolutely agree that I think he's, you know, using this to his best advantage. He's even used the phrase, uh, "I'm cleaning out." You know, I'm, I'm eradicating this cancerous virus of opposition. Um, so I think the future looks very bleak indeed. Bullen Gultikan also joining us as well. Bullen, great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're uh, over in that uh, part of the world right now. What is it like uh, to be over there at this time? I mean, I was in Istanbul on Friday. It was almost like surreal. We see jets flying over and passing or just exceeding the uh, sound of sound barrier. And I was right next to about, it was a military high school where they had a bunch of um, 
gunshots. So it was pretty much, and I was right across from the uh, Bosphorus Bridge, where we can see through by Naclis, actually. So it was quite unreal. It was not a pleasant uh, feeling. Uh, and right now, I think uh, people seem to be on, right now, in the western part of the country, in a small town. You know, people are all quite somber and feeling a little uncertain as to what is going to happen. And the fact that uh, the army, which is one of the most, so used to be one of the most trusted institutions, uh, was, or at least one group had incredible penetration into the army. So people just don't know what to say. And the radio on the other hand is broadcasting somewhat infantile way and uh, talking about the doings of people. It's uh, rather unusual. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've been through a couple of coups in the past, yep. and this has been pretty strange. Uh, I, with with all of the people that that are either being held uh, as potential uh, members of this coup and, and people that are being fired from jobs, I mean, schools are being closed. From what I understand, this is this is an amazing. It's almost become uh, an all encompassing move to really change what Turkey is about, Bulan. Quite a bizarre phenomenon. I don't think there is anything like that in the political uh, sort of science or the literature or even in the history. What is happening right now? It's possible not to put the dots or connect the dots right now. There is there's sort of a this is a point between two Islamists or Islamists. one based in finance. I mean. Um, um, look at the and the other fellow, Gulen, has been turned up to Bulent, we are really having a problem. We're going to try and uh, reestablish contact with you if, if we can. Uh, we'll continue with Arthur Scully and Liesl Hintz uh, for the moment. Uh, this is this is an a, a amazing uh, run here, Arthur, and it makes me think that uh, about the importance to Turkey just in that area right now uh, on the economic perspective, uh, obviously in the political perspective, but the economics as well. Um, you're right, Dan. It's absolutely critical. And Turkey was, up until a few years ago, really considered one of the um, uh, countries that was going to lead the Middle East in trying to come up and solving some of the problems. Now it, it became the problem itself. But I think uh, equally as important is the economy of Turkey and the impact it has on the region. And one of the things I specialize in is what's called Anatolian Tigers. And these are the conservative religious businessmen that support Erdogan and live out in the cities of Anatolia. And in my conversations with them, they are 100% behind Erdogan. Uh, and the reason is stability. Um, they are businessmen first, and they are conservatives and, and religious people after that. So Erdogan to them represents the opportunity for them to expand their business, which is throughout not only in Europe, but it's throughout uh, the Middle East and in Central Asia, and increasingly in, in Africa. So for them, they are going to back Erdogan, even though yep. we in the West might look at this and say, boy, this is a big problem. But that is, gives Turkey still a lot of influence 
And I think the countries to watch right now over the next uh, few months are not only Turkey, but Iran and Russia, and how the three of them could get together and start to discuss a plan on how to start dealing with some of the broader issues like Syria. Is there a, a, a possibility, Liesl, that and Turkey has been talked about trying to become part of the, of the EU, is there a, a path that you could see that that might actually happen uh, in, in the future, or is that uh, really a far-fetched idea? Well, I think, you know, long ago, or actually not so long ago, it wasn't such a far-fetched idea. When the Justice and Development Party came into power in 2002, EU accession was one of its main foreign policy pillars. Uh, and, you know, there was very amiable diplomatic relations, and there were a lot of economic and political reforms undertaken, and, of course, uh, civil military reforms that sort of allowed the government to uh, ask, uh, sort of assert greater civilian control over the military. But what we've seen, um, both rhetorically and in terms of slowdown of reforms, is Turkey really, uh, you know, moving away from its EU path. You know, this could be for a lot of reasons. It could be, uh, frankly, the EU and its, you know, sort of um, most prominent voices like Nicolas Sarkozy and Angela Merkel back in the day were uh, blatantly saying we don't want Turkey uh, to be part of our our, uh, our organization. The financial crisis, I think, also uh, you know is a way that, a reason that Turkey's turning away uh, greater markets in the Middle East. Um, but what I think we really need to focus on right now um, is the steps that you know Turkey is is not the steps it's not taking, but the ones it is. Um, Erdogan is talking about reinstating the death penalty. Yep. Uh, to punish the coup plotters. This is something that, you know, EU officials have said, sorry, that's a red line. That's that's not going to happen. Um, t- the Turkey just suspended the European Convention on Human Rights uh, following declaring a state of emergency. So it's clear that that path has been fraught with a lot of problems. But honestly, to answer your question, in terms of an EU accession uh, success under the AKP, I don't see it happening. Is there, because of what happened with the potential, uh, the, the coup, is there a level of responsibility for what happened on the shoulders of President Erdogan in your mind? So conspiracy theorizing in Turkey is, is kind of a bit of a national pastime. <laughs> Same for those who, who study Turkey and, and who love it as much as I do. Uh, and there's always a little bit of truth uh, in, in every conspiracy theory. Um, I think, you know, who is behind it right now um, is is less important because the accusations are being hurled back and forth. Right. Erdogan says Fethullah Gulen and his Gulen supporters are behind it. Fethullah Gulen says that Erdogan is behind it. Uh, what is, you know, suspicious, to say the least, is how quickly thousands and thousands of people in the opposition were rounded up. A lot of people think there were sort of lists of those who might be targeted were something like this kind of a extensive purge to happen. Um, and so they just kind of, you know, transformed those opposition lists into coup maker lists. Uh, so, you know, in terms of, of who's actually carried it out, obviously it was a sort of a small faction uh, of the military, uh, very, um, you know, bungled, as, as Arthur said. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, but, you know, in t- rather than sort of who did it, I think the way in which Erdogan is taking advantage of the, the coup so quickly, so forcefully, and just with absolutely unprecedented, you know, people say, well, it looks kind of like the 1980 coup because yeah. we really saw a purge of Islamists, at, or sorry, of leftists mostly back then, uh, and then Islamists after the 1997 coup. Um, but, yeah, really using it to his advantage to, to clean house. What What is interesting, Arthur, is, and I mentioned this with, with Bulland, is, is the fact that 
uh, from everything I read, they're they're closing schools and, and other institutions over there, almost like it, it's an expectation by by the president that this type of 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 uproar is being taught within the schools themselves. Well, you have to remember, I think Liesl's put it extremely well, um, that one of the key issues here is Satila Gulen, and he has um, set up over a thousand schools around the world, including in Turkey itself. Yep. And so I think Erdogan is concerned about um, Turkish education, and he wants greater control over it. Um, and he particularly wants to introduce more uh, Islamic subjects uh, into the schools. I'm not saying turn this into an Islamic uh, state, yeah. but certainly have a, a greater emphasis on religion. Um, and that is what his way of getting control. And furthermore, I think he's very suspicious of um, Gulen supporters that are still widely throughout the country, because Gulen and Erdogan, as has been mentioned, have worked closely together, and uh, Erdogan was very much encouraging Gulen to to have that sort of spreading out of uh, not only teachers, but police and judiciary and prosecutors. From what I understand, Mr. Gulen lives here in the United States. In fact, from what I read, he lives uh, here in Pennsylvania, correct? You're right. <laughs> And yeah, he, he he has he has a compound. Uh, he he's been uh, supposedly in the U.S. for medical reasons, um, but is kind of referred to as uh, an exiled cleric. Uh, who, uh, as Arthur said, uh, very you know, correctly, he was a very close ally of Erdogan, but has has really fallen out over a horrible lovers' quarrel. And actually, one of the big issues of debate between them was these uh, prep schools that the Gulenists were using both to sort of fund uh, their, their schools and their missions um, in other parts of the world, but also to recruit members to their movements. So the Erdogan government took steps to close down those preparatory schools. Uh, and then, you know, in a series of sort of back and forth uh, fights, the, the Gulen movement sort of took out its revenge against the government by opening uh, this gigantic corruption investigation in 2013. We're joined on the phone by Liesl Hintz, uh, Arthur Scully. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess with all that's going on, uh, Arthur, I'll ask you first, and Liesl as well, uh, has President Erdogan really taken this too far in your minds? Well, I think, quite frankly, not that I'm happy about it, but I think he has, he is using this, as Liesl has said, to basically get complete control over the country. Yep. His goal is to be the president with um, uh, basically no checks and balances, and his competition is uh, Ataturk, who died in 1937, yep. Yep. and uh, he who created the new, the new Turkey. And what Erdogan wants to have is the new, new Turkey, which he will always be remembered by. So he is going to clean out any sort of opposition now, and I think whether we like it or not, we're going to have to live with a turkey that's going to be ruled effectively by one man. But the good news here is that he has made reproachments with Israel, with uh, Russia, with, uh, and Iran is giving him some support. I mean, these are huge developments in the last two weeks. So um, that's actually good for the region because at least you can get some of the key parties to talk about some of these uh, regional problems instead of um, just constantly internal bickering within Turkey itself. Liesl, what does this end up meaning for the United States? 
Well, you know, the U.S. looks at Turkey, you know, as I said earlier, has kind of tried to portray it as a a model for the region. Um, But I think we've seen that model implode in many, many different ways. Uh, It's certainly imploded from the perspective of democracy. And, you know, I'm I'm not an economist, but in terms of what could happen to the economy when you have a state of emergency, um, you know, it's been struggling with foreign direct investment. The lira has really taken a, a tumble. So that's, I think, worrying. Um, I absolutely agree with Arthur that the the rapprochement with Israel and with Russia, uh, both of which, um, you know, sort of had Erdogan having to apologize uh, for some of his previous uh, sort of virulent rhetoric for for the downing of the Russian jet, although it's important to note that uh, the uh, those who were responsible for the downing of the Russian jet, of course, are now in custody as part of the purge, so he can now sort of place the blame on them. Yeah, not just this idea of the model for the region, but the U.S. desperately needs Turkey's air base, the Injirlik air base in Adana, um, to carry out sorties against ISIS. It needs its cooperation. It needs Turkey to continue to seal its borders. It needs Turkey to carry out uh, investigations into ISIS cells within Turkey that it has not been doing, even though it's had a lot of information uh, on these uh, Cells. So when you look at both the, e- the U.S. and the EU, they both need Turkey yeah. in a sense much more than Turkey needs them. The U.S. needs Turkey from an ISIS perspective, and the EU needs Turkey from a refugee uh, crisis perspective. So you know, even though we see these sort of internal turmoils playing out, Turkey actually has a lot of leverage in the region, which I think is is quite disturbing than Ar- the, the domestic turmoil. Arthur, yes. What about what about you? Have the 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 importance of of Turkey to the United States right now? Oh, it's it's I agree completely with Liesel is saying, and um, it is it is very important to not only to Turkey but to the EU and to the region itself. And and you know the bad news is that Turkey has completely I mean that uh, Erdogan has completely destroyed institutions and the checks and balances which are necessary for any uh, country, democracy or not. Um, but the good news is that at least you know what you're dealing with. And um, it's not pleasant, and we don't like it, but it could be a if we could somehow work out an arrangement, and we being not necessarily just the United States, right. but you could start to deal with some of these really key issues which spill over from country to country. What, what, would, a, what would a partnership, if Turkey is able to put it together with Iran and Russia, what would that really consist of in your mind? Well, let's just take Syria as an example, which, of course, we all know has just been a disaster for the yep. last uh, up to five years. But um, I would have thought nobody wants to own Syria. Right. Uh, certainly the Russians don't and the Iranians don't. It, it is ending up being a major problem. But you have to come up with a solution. And, and Erdogan has always been against keeping Assad in power. But now he seems to be sort of, I won't say backing off that position, but he's much less pro-eliminating uh, Assad right now. That's room for negotiation. And, um, and I'm sure the United States can play a role in the background, but this is not something the United States wants to lead. But it certainly can provide encouragement for the three of them to sit down and talk about some sort of longer-term plan for Syria, which would leave Assad in power for another year or so and um, hopefully try to encourage a successor government to form. But the, the crisis in Syria affects all of the countries in the Middle East, particularly Turkey. 
And you're talking about a time, as as Liesl mentioned, uh, where you have the uh, the the uh, migrant crisis, you have ISIS, you have all of the terror uh, that is going on throughout Europe, and obviously uh, at the airport in Turkey there a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back. This is this is a time where now something has to be done, and and if Erdogan is going to try and lead that parade. Then I guess in some respects it's it, it's a good thing. It can be a good thing for the region. Yeah, can be is the key words. Yes. If I could just jump in on that a little bit, um, I, I think that's a really important point to uh, to note. Uh, it's it's easy to see, um, and, and I think important to see all of the the negatives that are going on. But in terms of potential for cooperation. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Istanbul airport bombing. Um, I was there just a, a few days before the bombing and then a few days after. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that really resonates with Turks in terms of being hit at their heart. Uh, and again, this, this resentment against a government that has not uh, either taken the security precautions necessary or has not, you know, really rooted out the, the cells of the Islamic State that are known to, to exist in Turkey. In terms of foreign policy cooperation, what's interesting is that the nationals um, were Central Asian, uh, I believe with Kyrgyz, Uzbek, and then a Russian national who was from Dagestan. Yeah. Uh, in terms of foreign policy cooperation, Vladimir Putin is very uh, intent on eradicating uh, Islamic terrorism. Um, you know, he sort of made his career in 1999 with the crackdowns on Chechnya and, and uh, radical uh, Islamists in Chechnya. So I think that there may be, you know, there's this bad blood between the two. Um, but prior to that, there was you know, economic cooperation and, and other sort of forms of, of foreign policy ties. So partnering on trying to focus on how to, to root out these cells, I think, is something that we could see them move forward on. And, of course, something that the U.S. would support as well. Great to have you both on the show. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Liesl. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.